If you if you have a Bible of some, yeah, you, they do actually sparkle. I don't know how that happened. Um, I think it's one of those signs to make you wonder. <laughs> if you have a Bible, you turn to uh, James uh, chapter one. <clears throat> And verse 16 and 17, is, we're just going to kick off from here. I, I want to I talk to you about the goodness of God. And uh, we did this at the Supernatural School on, uh, on Tuesday, and I just thought, you know what? This is great. This, this, and, and I had a few more thoughts to, to add in there. So if you want a simple title... It's God's good. If you want a, a bigger title, let's put this on the website. Reassembling the Holistic Goodness of God. <laughs> Just trips off the tongue, doesn't it? Reassembling the Holistic Goodness of God. You'll see what I mean in a minute. This is going to be a little bit of a journey together. Uh, and I want us to um, just read this scripture. Here we go. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's basically saying that every good and perfect gift has its origin in the Father who is in heaven. That is what the, the verse says. Anything good that's happening on the planet is coming from him. Anything good. Not just the Christian good, not just religious good. Everything good has one source. And he is good. The Bible celebrates the goodness of God. I'm going to throw other scriptures out at you just, just to kind of bombard you a little bit. But God is good and he's good in every way. In, in 1 John 1, 5, a similar verse to this says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Here we go. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That's important to note. God is light. God is good. God is bright. God is the source of light. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good, and what you do is good. There's no disconnect between his nature and his activity. One flows through into the other. 1 Chronicles 16.34, they're celebrating the, the, the completion of the temple. And they sing that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And, and it's later that the glory cloud, I guess it may even look like my boots, but something filled the temple so much that, that the priests couldn't minister. And that's what they declared. God is good and his love endures forever. All through the Psalms you see this declaration that he is good. And we know that God is the same, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. That's what Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us and hence you get that sort of catchy thing God is good and he's good all the time God is good it's his nature it's his activity and it's he's forever good you happy about that and what he does is good so he makes the universe he makes creation uh, over those those seven days and he looks back at it and he looks and he says behold it was very good. God's not the creator of average or bad or shadow or darkness. In fact, darkness isn't a thing. Darkness is simply the absence of light. You can't actually create darkness. Darkness is the absence of something else. And it's really important, back to our original verse, don't be deceived, every good gift is from above. It's important to not think it comes from somewhere else. That's called deception. To think that good things have a source 
outside of our incredible, loving, heavenly Father is actually wrong thinking and is called deception in the, in the Scripture. God is the author and source of all that is good in the world. And actually, James earlier on discourages us from attributing evil temptation to God. Because God tempts no one and is temp- not tempted by evil. That's verse 13 of chapter 1 of James. So what I'm saying is the Bible is urging us not to see God as the source of evil. It's, It's proclaiming to us that he is light and he is good. He isn't out to tempt you. And in John 10.10, Jesus helps us out a bit more on this on this Bible story. Because he's, he identifies another player in this theater of life, in, in the grand play that we are all party to. And he says the thief comes. He's identifying the thief with Satan. The thief comes. And what's, what, what's his activity in this drama? His activity is stealing, killing, and destroying. All right, so, so there's some categories here. If stealing, killing, and destroying is happening, who is the author of it? Who is the bringer of that kind of activity on the planet in our life? Jesus is saying there is another, there is another player, there is another operative, there's another source and what he's bringing to the party, what he's bringing to the play is, is, is death and destruction and thievery. But I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. Satan is seen as the author of evil and destruction. But his tactics are subtle. So when Eve is tempted in the Garden of Eden to eat the forbidden fruit, basically what the serpent who is Satan, is saying is God isn't as good as you think. I'm giving you good news. The good news, Eve. And I'm the bringer of good news to you, Eve. Me, slimy, slippery serpent, is actually doing you good today. If you reach out and eat of that fruit, you will become like God He's holding out on you. This, he's told you, you can't have this. I'm telling you, if you have this, it will be better for you. And we know that was a lie. But he, Paul tells us that he loves to portray himself as an angel of light. Alright, so, but what we've seen is... The enemy is the stealer, the killer, or destroyer. He's a liar and the father of lies, all right? That's what the Bible says. It nails him. It nails him over and over. Father of lies, stealer, killer, destroyer, prince of darkness, etc., etc. Yeah? Jesus has come to give life and life abundant. The Father is the Father of lights. In him there is no darkness at all. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Okay, the identities and activities of the two parties are clear. But what starts to happen is that this party starts to try and dress up to look like this party. He wants you to think he's your best friend and he's out to do you good. And in the doing of it, he's actually thieving, killing you and stealing from you and destroying you. so he loves to look like the good guy and make God look like the bad guy to switch the thing around. And sadly, the church has fallen for this over the centuries to the point where we attribute lots of bad things to God. And if, we can, if he, the thief, the killer, and the destroyer can cause us to believe that bad stuff is coming from God, then we have no faith to escape the bad stuff. 
because we think it's his will and his plan and we submit to it rather than break free from it. And therefore, more and more bondage and difficult things invades the Christians and the church. Just, just smile at me. He loves to appear. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Look out. He's the angel. He's looking to look like the angel of light. He masquerades. He's a deceiver. He's a, he's a dresser-upper in clothes that are not his. <laughs> but God is good. In fact, God is so good and so incredibly good at being good that he can take bad and make it good. So Romans 8.28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We know that all, all, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Isn't that good news? One of the key little phrases in there is, we know that in all things. Now, for a lot of evangelicals, all things does not mean all things. (laughs) All things means all spiritual things that are going to make me look more like Jesus. Because something came in to evangelical thinking, well, it it was rooted, it was probably rooted in way, way, way back in Augustine, who is a converted Gnostic and whose writings and thinking was a major influence on, on Calvin and Luther, for those of you who are interested in those kind of things. But Gnosticism has been a, a, an attack on the truth of the gospel from probably the late first century. So a lot of the writings of uh, certainly of John and some of Paul's are are in the New Testament are actually addressing a problem that's out there in the church called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism has its roots, some of its roots in Greek thinking. And it basically, the idea is the spirit is good. Spirit is the, is, is the realm that is, is of goodness. Spirit is what we want. But, but material and, the, and fleshly things are, are fundamentally evil and corrupt. So the Gnostics could not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Could why would a deity want to clothe himself in 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 flesh, in material? Why would he want to be materially pre- present? Because yeah. So they taught that Jesus Jesus was a spirit, but he didn't come in the flesh. So that's why you get like the beginning of the book of John that the, the 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 word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And another, I think it's Peter said, we touched him. We, we felt it was really important. Jesus was, was divine and he was spirit, but he was also flesh. And he still is. He still has a body. There is a man sitting on the throne. All right? It didn't suddenly not be that. He has a new body, but he has a body. And that, Gnostics are like, ah! So they, they influenced the gospel or tried to influence the gospel in many different ways. Now, the outcome of, of believing that the material world is, is not fun and not to be celebrated, it, it goes in two directions. And one of its influences on, on early thinking was a thing called asceticism. So, be, so you put the flesh down, you, you, sub, you, you do extreme fasts, you, you flagellate yourself, you celebrate suffering in that way because you're trying to get rid of the flesh to release the spirit. Right, this is about the goodness of God. Just stay with me. Just stay with me, all right? The other outcome is that people get in, well, the flesh doesn't matter. It's only the spirit. So then you get into something called antinomianism, which is the indulgence of the flesh because it doesn't really matter. And, and Paul addresses that in different parts. Like in Romans, he says, well, because, because of grace, should we go on sinning? He says, by no means. So those are the kind of streams that kind of flow out of this kind of thinking. 
that material, the material world is fundamentally evil and, and not to be desired. If I think all things doesn't include all things, including material things, I've been affected by Gnosticism. If I think all things is all spiritual things, I've immediately missed the holistic goodness of God. Just smile at me. Jesus came and he demonstrated the goodness of God. And and that word sozo, we have a sozo ministry, but that Greek word sozo is used of saving, healing, and delivering people. So it's used of physical healing as well as spiritual salvation. Because God is a holistic God, he's interested in all of you, not just the spirit bit of you. Jesus saved all of you. You're going to get a new body. You will be completely saved, body, soul, and spirit. He doesn't just save the spirit. He's not just saving your soul, he's saving you. We get a new one of these. Isn't that awesome? I wonder if we can sort of apply ahead for, you know, a few upgrades. <laughs> What's it going to be like? So this, this separation really affected things. So I just want to read you a little bit of church history. I know this is kind of... It sounds slightly boring, but it's actually really, really important. So just, just bear with me a minute, because we're blowing something up here that is really prevalent in evangelicalism and bringing a wrecking ball of truth to a lie. So lots and lots of us have believed that sickness can come from God and do us good. It's a thing that he uses to discipline us and purify us. Yeah? Pause that thought. This is about medieval mysticism, so just sort of 13th century ish. A characteristic of medieval mysticism was a preoccupation with sickness and suffering. During the first three centuries of of the church, Christians had endured horrible persecutions by the state. And they had. You know, people were thrown to the lions, crucified upside down, set fire to to illuminate uh, parties for for Caesar, etc., etc. But then uh, at the conversion of um, him, Constantine, it changed. So during that time of persecution... Being willing to suffer for the name of Christ became looked on as something of honor, and martyrdom was at times even sought by zealous believers. But with the conversion of Constantine, the, 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 em, the emperor, and the exaltation of Christianity as the official religion of the state, believers no longer had an opportunity to suffer in Jesus' name. Many of the monks who'd gone into this sort of monastic existence responded to this situation with self-inflicted suffering through prolonged periods of fasting, sleep deprivation, exposure to the elements. Their self-inflicted suffering often resulted in sickness, which also came to be seen as a blessing when endured for the sake of Christ. Along with the influence of Greek thought, which tended to despise the body and value the spirit, which is what I've just been talking about, sickness came to be seen as a blessing from God, used by him to purify and sanctify the soul, The suffering and death of Christ became the focal point rather than his power and resurrection. Many believed that through their suffering they could identify better with Christ and even love him more. And biblical passages that promised physical healing like James 5, 13 to 18 were interpreted as just applying to the soul. 
Sickness now became seen as a blessing from God to sanctify the soul and the ministry of healing in the church became less prominent and in many cases unnecessary. If you believe that God can make you ill to make you more holy, why get healed? Is sickness good from God? What happened was those monks turned something that was coming from this side into something they believed was coming from this side. They turned an enemy into a virtue. And that entered the mainstream of Christian thinking right up until now. And if you believe that, that's what you're going to experience. Is it good to be poor? If you do a study on poverty in the book of Proverbs, you get an avalanche of verses, and every single one tells you that being poor is a bad idea. Proverbs 6.11, just as an example, poverty will come on you like a robber. He's not your friend. Just, just stay with me. So, health and healing is a physical benefit. Finances are physical. They're material. Yeah? Evangelicalism has tended to strip the physical benefits out of the cross and resurrection and elevate the spiritual ones at the neglect of the physical ones. Whereas I'm saying God is holistically good to all of you all of the time. In everything he works for good. Everything. Not just spiritual things. He wants to be good to your cash. And good to your car. Good to your brain. Good to your body. As well as good to your spirit. And good to your soul. He wants to fill you with love and bless you with goodness in your life. Two Corinthians nine verse eight says that grace, which is a spiritual quality, does something to money. So actually, in God's economy, it's kind of the other way around. Spiritual stuff has physical benefits. God is a, as This is in the context of giving, which we've just done this morning. He's saying to generous givers that as you give, God's able to make grace, this grace thing, this enabling, this undeserved favor, abound to you so that in all things, all times, having all that you need, you abound in every good work. And verse 11, do you want to flick just to verse 11? And you'll be made rich in every way. So that you can go to heaven with a crown of glory. No, so that you can be generous on every occasion. A 19th century commentator, so way before all the strange health and wealth stuff got preached, a 19th century commentator looking at this said, you cannot say anything else other than God is speaking about your money. You can't make this... See, what people do is they're really, oh, he's talking about spiritual blessing. No, he's talking about spiritual blessing creating financial blessing. That is what it's talking about. It's only us who've grown up with this idea that all oh, money is evil and God isn't really interested in blessing your finances. He's interested in blessing your soul and saving you in, to go to heaven. Of then squeeze this to make, well, the blessing doesn't include money. No, the blessing is about, this is all about money. He wants to be good to your cash. He wants to be good to your bank account and good to your employer and good to your employment and good to your pay and good to your job. Proverbs chapter 3. Blimey, you're really good at this. 
If you bring the whole offering into the storehouse, I can't remember which verses it is though, because this isn't in the notes. <laughs> when you bring the whole, whole offering into the storehouse, then you're going to have your, it says your vats will be brimming with wine. 310. But then your barns will be filled. Well, they're spiritual barns. They're my heavenly barns. No, these are your earthly barns. Your vats overflowing with new wine. I mean, this is the promise of God. This has to be right. <laughs> just, just give us verse 9 as well, just to get the concepts. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. It's the same thing. As you give to Him, He blesses you from heaven, and it looks like something on the earth. So we're not materialists. So materialists believe that the most, the, the most real thing on the planet is material. Materialists aren't just preoccupied with money. They just believe that physical things is reality, are reality. Yeah? We believe that physical things are not ultimate reality. That Heavenly Father, God is ultimate reality. Heaven is ultimate reality. Hell, hell, Heaven endures, earth is going to be renewed and actually pass away and be renewed. This is temporary, that is permanent. All right, so we're not materialists, but we do believe in a God who made the material planet and us and looked at it and said it was good and gave us the job of looking after it and said, I'm going to bless you, be fruitful and multiply. His intention was to bless us in order that we would steward the planet well because he made it good and he wanted us to do good to it. Is this making sense to anybody? So God is not disinterested in the material world. He made it and he loves it. (sighs) Just go to Galatians 3, please. I know you're doing a great job here. We're doing a kind of tour of the Bible. You enjoying it? Galatians 3. Um, uh, yeah, we need a verse, don't we? I think it's about 13. Yes, it is 13. Awesome. Christ redeemed us from the... Oh, I love this verse. Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed everyone who hung on a tree. So Jesus is nailed to a cross, actually bleeding and dying for us. And it says that one of the things he did there was he redeemed us from the curse of the law. You need to read the curse of the law. So Deuteronomy 28, and we're definitely not going to go there because it's really, really long. The curse of the law is a long, 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 long curse. But in summary, it's about spots, boils, (laughs) legs falling off miscarriages, your crops dying, plagues breaking out, your animals miscarrying, poverty breaking out on you, plagues is the curse of the law. That's the, honestly, go read it in your own time. It's about, the curse of the law is all about life down here being crap. That, that's, that'll save you a, a couple of chapters of depressing reading right there. <laughs> so we have emphasized so much that Jesus died for our sins. We've not heard he died to redeem us from the curse of the law. The curse of all that rubbish breaking out on you, he suffered for to release us from. And our sins are forgiven and we get to be united with him, etc. And his kids, etc. The cross is a holistic activity by a holistically good God who cares about the whole of our life. He cares about everything that you care about. Which is why it says cast your cares on him because he cares about you. He cares about your car. He cares about your eyesight. 
cares about your hearing and your children. He cares about your lawn. He cares about your house. He cares about your mortgage. He cares about your course and your exams. He cares about them because he cares about you. And he doesn't have this divide in his head, which is, well, that's material stuff, and I'm only interested in making you more spiritual. He's joined up, and we've unjoined him. And this morning, I'm sticking him back together in our heads because he's good all the time about everything. (laughs) So on the cross, you got redeemed from the curse of the law. On the cross... All the punishment that you deserved, he got. So why, oh why, oh why do we believe that he's then going to punish us with poverty and sickness? Where did we get that idea from? It's a lie from this guy. The stealer, killer, destroyer is this dude, not Heavenly Father. Alright? He's not going to punish you with sickness, disease and poverty. He died on a cross to release you from the curse of that. Hello? Jesus came, it says, to bring good news to the poor. The good news to the poor is God loves you poor. He's going to keep you poor. In fact, you live on a dollar a day. He's going to bless you so much he'll teach you how to make it on 50 cents a day. So much of the planet live on a dollar a day or less. The blessing of God is breaking out on you. No longer will you eat meat. You have to not even eat the fruit of the vine. You won't get your plants to grow. You'll have to scratch for roots. So blessed will you be. You'll eat grass and boil it. That's the favor of heaven. The good news to the poor. What junk! Is that? We all know. Instinctively we go, no! That's because we made like him. And he made a planet full of food that grows stuff so that you can eat it and be happy. And there's there's even a verse that says that. I've just kind of gone off piste a little bit here. God isn't punishing or disciplining you with sickness or poverty. Jesus came, He came to give good news to the poor. And some of that is God's material provision to the poor. He came good news to the sick. You're there in hospital, you're at death's door, incurable. The good news is you're going to die. In fact, More boils and spots are going to break out over you. Cancer is going to eat your bones. You're going to be so spiritual at the end of this. That's what we've taught people sometimes. By implication. We never can't push it that far. It's sick. It is sick. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Nobody who came to him to get healed did he push away. No one who came to him did he say, it's not God's will to heal you because God's will is to refine you by being ill. Jesus told a story, and I'm going to... Because he got accused of delivering people by using satanic power. Remember that story? He says, by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. Jesus' answer is this. It says, no house divided against itself will fall. Stand. (laughs) That verse. (laughs) This is a corporate message. We're getting there together, aren't we? (laughs) No house divided against itself will stand. If I'm taking demonic power to drive out demonic power... That is the collapse of that kingdom right there. It's divided against itself. Some believers believe that Jesus was going around healing people with God's power who God had made sick.
That means the kingdom just fell right there. It's not true. It's a lie. That the devil wants you to believe because it puts a fault line in the kingdom of God and how we understand the kingdom of God anyway, not the kingdom itself. Is this making sense to anybody? These are lies. I'm just blowing up some lies here. The kingdom, the good news to the poor, it's good news to the sick, it's good news to the oppressed. It's freedom, not more oppression. Good news to the depressed. It's happy thought life, not more clouds and gloom. That's what Jesus said. He actually stood and said that. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to set captives free, give sight to the blind, announce the day of the Lord's favor, bring good news to the poor. That was his mission. To bring the goodness of the kingdom of God and the heart of the Father into every realm of human experience. God is holistically good. Signs and wonders are therefore an essential expression of the nature of God. Because they display His goodness into man's impossibilities, poverties, brokenness, etc., etc. Even when we disciplines us, it's for our good. In those tests and those trials and those traumas, when we feel hemmed in, even that's for good. That's Hebrews 12.10. You can look that up in your own time. But he disciplines us for, his, for our good that we might share in his holiness. So I'm not saying there aren't difficult things. All right? I'm not saying there aren't trials in life because we live in a fallen world. We live in a conflict of kingdoms. We live facing a stealer, killer, and destroyer. But we need to look at it all in the right lens. My trial is an opportunity for more of God's goodness to break in. (laughs) It's going to get even better. So, God, God is happy. Some of us have been to California a few times, and if you describe the climate of California, you'd say it was dry with occasional rain. If you come from Glasgow and live here, it's rainy, and last Tuesday it was really sunny. So the climate, the description of our climate is it's mostly wet with some sunshine. Yeah? Sunshine breaks in occasionally and we all go, I hope this lasts a week. I hope this is summer coming. And guess what? It isn't. (laughs) In California, it's dry every day pretty much. And they write songs about, let it rain, let it rain. We're like, shush, we don't want to sing them here. We want songs about the sunshine of the love of God breaking out. We want to declare sunshine in this place. Some people think that the climate of heaven is mostly rainy with occasional breakouts of sunshine. Psalm 16, sorry, Psalm 2, verse 4. Let's go there. Whiz fingers here. This is fab, isn't it? Bang. Yeah, that's it. You could perhaps go back to verse 3 just to get... I love this verse. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I love it. He's like, who do you think you're kidding? You don't threaten me. Uh, Psalm sixteen eleven. Uh, 
ask yourself the question, how did David know all this stuff? You've made known to me, all right, this is what he's saying, God's done the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. How did he know all that stuff was up there? Is he kind of sitting at a desk with his, I don't know what they wrote within those days, quill pen or whatever it was, just, just doing automatic writing. He has no experience or understanding of what he's talking about, but God's just telling him this is what it's like. I don't think so. I think the more I read Psalms, the more I think David was a man of incredible encounters and visions, and he wrote about them. In his presence, his fullness of joy. He'd been there. I would rather spend one day in your house than, than, and all those. He loved the presence of God. He loved to hang out there. You read that psalm this morning. And you're like, wow, this, this guy's having encounters. He knows that in his presence is fullness of joy because he's hung out there and thought, whoa, this isn't gloomy. This is amazing. And it's pleasurable in the presence. Yeah, that's a good point. God isn't an ascetic. He's not on a long fast. He doesn't need to fast. He doesn't need to eat. Psalm 21 verse 6. <laughs> Just go figure. It's okay. 21 verse 6. I'll mime the rest of the message. Uh, <laughs> for those of you at home, <laughs> Psalm 21 verse 6 says, Surely you've granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Over and over and over again, the presence of God is equated with joy. The atmosphere of heaven is not gloomy with occasional sun. It's sunny. Psalm 36, verse 8. They feast. I'm getting ahead now. They feast on the abundance of the house. You give them drink. (laughs) I I think David had some really out there encounters. I mean, he's there and he's seeing these heavenly things, drinking from the river of delights. That's what's around God. You could say, and this is a, a Bill Johnson phrase, but I, I, I think he's legitimate in using it. You could say in our vernacular that God is in a good mood. He's happy. He's happy about himself. He's happy about you. The environment of heaven is, and presence of God is joyful, is pleasurable, is intoxicating, is a river of delights. <laughs> what does that mean? I just think it's great. It's intoxicated, it's fun, it's, it's life, it's bursting with life. The presence of God is abounding with goodness and brightness and life and joy and pleasures at His right hand forevermore. That's the climate of heaven and our job is to say, heaven come down. And for, for decades longer, often church has given... Heaven is rainy. There's a punisher on the throne. And we say we have free access to the throne of grace, but no one wants to come because they think there's someone there who's going to tell them off. We preach grace. No, you can come. You come freely to God. But then if you think God's an angry, punishing God, who wants to come? Stay at home. Free access to scariness. No, thank you.
See, God's in a good mood, but you need to know he's in a good mood about you. Well, really, me. He's a good mood. He's in an extremely good mood about you. I mean, the the beautiful thing about Heavenly Father is he's extremely everything at the same time. And he doesn't explode. He just creates more amazingness. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who's to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Well, he wouldn't. Zephaniah 3.18. Well, that doesn't look so good. (laughs) Go back to 17. That's the one. No? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Sorry. Wrong verse. Could have turned a good message to a really bad one. <laughs> the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty safe. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Hebrew for that bit is spin over you under the influence of a violent emotion. <laughs> Some of you are sitting there going, that's for everybody else in the room but not me. No, this is for everybody. He's excited about you. He's thrilled about you. He's dancing over you. He's in a good mood over you. When it says, come to the throne of grace, there is no punisher on the throne. All the punishment was on him. That you could come to the embrace and the joy and the delight of the Heavenly Father for the rest of your existence. We are objects of favor. We're objects of delight. Freely, he gives, he lavishes, he loves, he delights, he thrills, and he invites you into his presence, into his party, into his delight, into his joy. That isn't fundamentally circumstantial because heaven is the ultimate circumstance. It's the ultimate reality is what's there, and we are, that is our home. That is where we are now seated. That is our place of existence. We happen to earth from heaven. (laughs) And God's plan is to show his goodness to everybody. So as we get the idea that he's good, holistically good, and he's good to us, is that through us and all kinds of other ways, he wants to show his amazing goodness to the planet. Because that's what he's doing. Matthew 5, 43 to 45 says that we're to become sons of our Father who is in heaven because he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, Matthew 5, 43 to 45. God blesses good people and bad people. Because he wants to be good to everybody. Just, just keep that thought in your head. I know Acts fourteen seventeen. This is <coughs> they're preaching the gospel to Gentiles, to people without a Jewish background. And this is, I think, it's Paul says this. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. Is, he didn't leave you without some witness, some proof of himself. For he did good. By giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is preaching the gospel. All right, you didn't know about Jesus before, but actually God was still being good to you by making sure that He rained and He sent the rain and the sun, and you had food. And and we're to be like Him, doing good to bad people, doing good to all people. Uh, just got to stop, run out of time. Goodness encounters lead to change. God's plan is that you get so blessed that you get transformed. 
Psalm 130 verse 4 says, With you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. That isn't what we expect it to say often. Because our idea of fear, fearing God and God's idea of fearing God are not the same. His display of outrageous, spectacular goodness produces awe inside of us. And that's the kind of fear that this is about. Where we just go, wow. The goodness of God or the kindness of God is meant to lead to repentance. Romans 2. The world is crying out for goodness to be downloaded on them. It's crying out, and we're the ones to do it. The church is crying out to know that God loves them, that he's good all the time, and that he does good to all of their life. He wants to download his goodness on us. He wants to fill us with goodness. He wants to impact our money and our jobs and our finances and our bank accounts and our marriages and our, our thought life and our, with his goodness. It's a fundamental core part of who he is and what he's expressing to you and to this, to this planet. Taste and see that the Lord is good. invitation it's pre-sample time shall we stand <laughs> can we have the ministry team up please uh There's such a real need for a goodness outbreak this morning (laughs) in your life, in this city. It starts with us because we get to be blessed to be a blessing. That's God's formula. And I don't know what you're carrying in this morning, but maybe your bank account is in real need of an invasion of divine goodness. Why don't you get some prayer? Not a financial advisor. Get a download of grace from heaven. See, see, see if that fixes it. Your body may be aching, aching, aching. Why don't you get a download from heaven? If you actually can really help for you to know it is not the will of God for you to be ill. It's from the other fella. Once we get that sorted out, it's a lot easier to pray for people to get healed. Yeah, if you think it might be God's will that you're sick... It's really hard to get you healed. I'm telling you, God's will is to heal you. He's not making you holy by giving you sickness. 